Hey everybody, this is Joy, and you are listening to episode one of Sensible Black Nerd. This is a side project that I've decided to start. So what is a sensible black nerd? To me, the common nerd is somebody who can cite all of the Marvel comics and compare them to all of the Marvel movies, watches Lord of the Rings, Star Trek, Star Wars, knows all the actors by name. For me, I'm reclaiming the word nerd and adding the word sensible to it because I have approximate knowledge of many things. Have I watched Marvel movies? Most of them. Have I read the comics? Not yet. Huh? You see where I'm getting? Did I grow up playing Super Smash Brothers Melee on the GameCube? Have I dabbled in Mario Party and Super Nintendo games? All of that shit? Yes, I have. Was I very good at them? That's questionable. Do I watch a shit ton of cartoons? Fuck yes, I do. Do I watch all of them? Am I well versed on anime? No, I'm, I, I've tried anime, I'm so sorry, I will circle back, but you get my drift. I'm again going to quote Adventure Time. I have approximate knowledge of many things. Strap in, we're going to have a good time on this podcast talking about so many things, which will also exist on my blog, younghagsays.com, will entail me discussing either with myself or amongst friends, media such as books, novels, films, Marvel, reality TV, and all of that good shit. Music even. Imagine. So this is the first episode of this, and I'm excited This episode, I want to focus on two things that very much are just a testament to the spectrum of interests that I have. Sister Wives and Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever. Yes, I know. What do these two things have in common? Nothing except for the fact that I am very invested in both of them now. So, Sister Wives. Sister Wives is a reality TV show that takes place on TLC that focuses on a man by the name of Cody Brown and his three and then four wives. Their names are Mary, Janelle, Christine, and Robin. I remember seeing this show be advertised on TLC and just thinking, what has the world come to? Why are they acting like this is okay? This shit is weird. Ugh, like I don't want to see this on my TV. I was never going to watch the show until TikTok. TikTok brought me to this show. There's this current drama going on where in present time, they're now airing season 17. And two of the wives have decided to leave Cody, which is enough for me to be like, okay, so they got some sense eventually. So for me, watching the show is about seeing what it took to get there. My initial thoughts watching the show, I assumed that these people were like in a cult of some sort. Why does one man need four wives? I I don't see anything in that other than greed, narcissism, self-centeredness, and how fucked up it's got to be for the kids to grow up in that kind of lifestyle of oh i have one dad but like four moms i mean at this point how many kids do they even have at the beginning of season one they had they had just popped out child number 13 (laughs) and so i started season one i'm on season two now and so when we come in there are three wives the third wife is pregnant and about to pop out their 13th baby the first wife only has one kid she wasn't able to have any others the second wife has six kids and the third wife is on her sixth kid they are now also entertained a fourth wife who he has been they don't call it dating they call it courting because these people are mormon their fundamental 
fundam- Mormon fundamentalists where they're like, we're Mormon, but we also believe like in that old age shit where like a man should have multiple wives and the goal is to just have as many kids as possible. That's how it's meant to be. We're basically a community amongst ourselves. That's why it gives cult, right? Because it is like we have a shit ton of kids and we stay amongst ourselves and the kids are typically like homeschooled. It's weird. But anyways, they he is courting a fourth wife named Robin who has her own three kids already, which I thought was strange that he was looking for a wife who already had her own kids with another man. And apparently that man that she had kids with doesn't care about these kids because he's letting her enter this polygamous family. What I found to be interesting in this show is that they do kind of start off with, oh, this is great. Like, woo. I never wanted to be, you know, the only wife. I grew up in this community. You know, this works for us. We love it. Oh, if I don't want to make my kids dinner, there's always another mom here to make my kids dinner. There's always a mom to watch your kids if you want to go out. Oh, we all contribute in different ways. It's actually a lot of fun. (laughs) I I thought that was, you know, they were kind of winning me over with that a little bit because to me, I honestly feel like my generation has lost community. We've lost the sense of living as a collective mindset of we want to help each other. It's really every man for himself. You're on your own. You do your own thing. And so what I see in these women are a bunch of women who more than valuing being in love and having this man all to themselves, they really just valued having a family. They all knew they wanted a shit ton of kids because they all love kids. They love the idea of having a sister wife, which is like a best friend, a sister who is also there to help you and your kids. And then one man, I guess, to focus on, because it seems to me like none of them, except for the last wife, really like him like that. Like, I I can see how some of them are like in love with him in a sense. But to me, if you have a husband and you're cool with only getting 25% of his time. Like they literally have a setup where they just trade off nights. So each wife will get him on like the fourth day of the week. Like they have their turns and they'll be like, that's fine with me. I I like being alone. I I don't want him in my face all the time. Like, oof. I can't imagine having a husband who's always in my face. I don't know if it's brainwashing, but they genuinely like the setup from what we understand. And I was like, okay. And I think what really won me over was the children Assuming, and to me, I really can't believe that no kid, that out of these now 16 kids that they have in season two, 16 kids total, that none of them wishes they had their own room, wishes that they had one-on-one time with their mom or one-on-one time with their dad, wishes that they weren't like the freak in school who has to keep, you know, their family a secret. For the most part, the women are all like kids first. And so you have to kind of appreciate the fact that it does seem like a very loving and warm environment that they live in. They all have one house and they all have sections of the house, except for as the fourth wife marries into the family, She doesn't fit in the house with her kids, so they have her in a house up the road. I realized, though, as this fourth wife was being brought in, it seems good right now, like they're a team. But there's already things that are off. And this is where the cracks start to show. The women themselves are actually really open-minded and supportive of their kids. So in my head, a Mormon family, fundamentalist, polygamist, they would be like, we are going to marry off our kids as soon as we can. Arranged marriages for the win. Everybody should be in a polygamous household. Everybody should look a certain way, behave a certain way. But actually, they're very cool with their kids. Like, they let their kids dye their hair whatever color. They have said, like, we don't care what religion our kids decide to choose. They don't have to be polygamous. They can do whatever they want. Which I was like, that's better than my own parents. So personally, for me, I feel like what they're doing makes sense. 
because of what Nick Cannon has done with his baby mothers. If Nick Cannon can sprinkle his kids all over the U.S. in different households with different women in different states, they don't work together. The kids have to send Christmas away from their dad, away from their brothers and sisters. Most of these kids haven't met each other at all. I'm sure like almost none of them have actually met each other. These women aren't working together. It's very secluded, individualistic. One of his baby mothers has said, oh, those women are none of my business. That's Nick's responsibility. Like that ain't got nothing to do with me. If you're cool with having this man you know, impregnate you and then impregnate a new woman next week. And you are like, well, we're not in love. He's not my man. He's the father of my kids. Why wouldn't you be like, well, if he can't be around for me all the time as I need him, let me live in the same neighborhood or the same city, at least as some of the other moms so that we can like raise our kids together. Like what kind of setup is it that these kids don't grow up with their siblings, that these moms don't seem to like each other, that Nick can't be there, but they're not having holidays together, birthday celebrations together. These kids should be best friends. They're all like kind of in the same age group. So it's weird to me that they would seclude their kids. And that is why I look at sister wives as, okay, at least that makes sense. What sold me on this show is that even though they begin with telling you the perks of it, the positives, showing you how happy they are, how it works, which is needed, they do also show the cracks in their relationships. And the main crack is jealousy. These women do get jealous of each other. To get away from this jealousy, they have set up strict rules so that they can at least be like, it's fair. One of the rules is that he can't be affectionate with any of them around the other. So he can't kiss you in front of me. He can't kiss me in front of you. We all have equal time with him. So I get him on Monday. Then she gets him Tuesday. You get him Wednesday. Other one gets him Thursday. I get him Friday again. His stuff is literally scattered throughout the whole house. So it all evens out. And if it doesn't, they feel free to speak on it. These women will tell him to shut up. They will express anger with him. They are in no way, oh, we worship the man. We do what he says. He's our leader. Like, it's very realistic. Honestly, their relationship with him and each other is very pragmatic. So they have these rules to circumvent jealousy and it was working because he'd been with these wives collectively for a total of 16 years. And now Robin, the fourth wife, comes along and it's completely throwing everything out of whack. He married the first three wives all around the same time and he married them all before any of them had kids. So he was literally just kind of taking turns knocking them up. They would raise each other's kids. So they were literally there with each other as each other was giving birth, helping raise your baby. So now it's like, I am the mom to your kid as well. So we really are sister wives. And they really worked out the kinks and set the rules so that they were all happy. And then Robin comes along. By the way, these women are not bisexual. They're not sleeping with each other. They're not kissing each other. Like, it's literally just a, let's bring in another mom for him. They bring this wife in and already it's different. She's new. She's thin. She's prettier. So they went with her wedding dress shopping and she was like, oh, none of these dresses really speak to me, whatever. Come to find out she and him had already picked out a dress alone together. He had gone bridal shopping with her, the new wife, and picked out her dress. And he brought it up in front of the other wives like, oh, hey, surprise, I actually picked her dress. And the way these women got so angry with him. Like, they weren't like, oh my gosh, that's so cute. They weren't happy for her. They weren't happy for him. They were like, what? Why would you do that? You never did that for us. You didn't have anything to do with our wedding. We barely had a wedding. They got mad. One of them actually got up and walked away. And that was me seeing like, oh shit. Basically, all of this is a facade. <laughs>
<laughs> these women are not okay with this man being with this woman alone, shopping, having a romantic moment. Everything has to be by the book according to the rules. If you are going to be alone with him, we need to know. You can't go wedding dress shopping with him because he didn't do that with us. Currently in season two, where I'm watching, they do talk about how when he's not in the house, it's actually really easy. They're kind of like friends. They work together. They have fun. And then when Cody, the husband, comes along, it gets awkward because as a wife, they each want to give him their full attention and it makes them uncomfortable. Keep in mind, they all, I think, work at some point. And Cody definitely works. Like, this is a collective. This is not a man who has four wives because he can afford four wives. This is basically a community of five people who've decided, fuck monogamy, fuck having to do it on your own. Let's all partner up. We're all straight, so the women will only sleep with him and he will give us each kids. But we will work together and we will all provide income, resources, babysitting duties, cleaning, cooking, like we're all going to work together to raise as many kids as possible. They're constantly aware that they could be jealous of each other. And they often are jealous. And it made me think, so if you're jealous, then this is not truly non-monogamous. Because to me, polyamorous relationships are people who are mature enough to be like, we don't own each other. You do you. I could but see polyamorous is different because it would it wouldn't be like my husband is poly and can do what he wants, but I'm only with him. It would be I can do what I want to, and we're just honest. So these women are already at a shortfall because it's like there's no other man here. There's no other man here to make me feel special, to rub my back, to have sex with me, to spend time with my kids. It's just him. So if I feel like he's spending more time with a certain wife or that he likes a certain wife more or a certain wife's kids more, I'm going to feel away. That's where I'm saying these little cracks turn into huge, like, fucking Grand Canyon. And they start to feel it even more and more over the years. Keep in mind, this show has only been on air for 12 years. So it took 12 years of subtly seeing that he prefers this other woman and her kids more for them to be like, I don't want to do this. Why am I doing this? So those are my thoughts on Sister Wives. I highly recommend watching the show. So moving on. Wakanda forever. That's the theme song that I've created for Wakanda forever. I just picture this like Wakanda forever. Like this. <laughs> this I don't even know what accent I put on for that, but Wakanda forever premiered, I believe mid-November of this year. So I'm way behind. It's been out for over a month and I'm just now watching it and I've seen it twice now. Yes. And so Obviously, that means I enjoyed it. It's not giving the same vibes that Black Panther, the first one, did. Obviously, Black Panther, most of us who watched it weren't even really watching Marvel at the time. So I didn't see, you know, Chadwick Boseman introduce his Black Panther during Captain America Civil War because I wasn't watching Marvel yet. I watched this because of the cast. I watched it because it was a superhero movie that was fully, almost 100% Black cast. They had a all-woman army. <laughs> his sister is like the technological scientist genius. It was giving everything that Black people would want to see, basically. And I remember the first feeling I got watching the movie and Kendrick Lamar's doing the soundtrack the action scenes are fun and when it ends it hits you with all of the stars song with SZA and Kendrick and the graphics that show all of the characters are just amazing and you just end the movie feeling on top of the world I saw Black Panther four times <laughs> 
because I just wanted that feeling again and again and again. Black Panther is honestly the reason why I went back and watched the other Marvel movies. Because I know I knew that Marvel was a big deal. I knew that it had a big following. But to me, it was like, oh, that's like nerd. Like, I'm not a nerd. I wouldn't watch that. That's dorky. That's comics. Who cares about superheroes? Like, we're adults. And Black Panther showed me, no, this shit is not like childish. (laughs) Maybe I need to grow up because my thinking that a superhero movie isn't good enough for me to watch because, oh, it's, it's probably catered towards men or it's for children. Black Panther broke all of that. So I watched all of Marvel and... Seeing where it is now in phase four, I can say that I'm not very excited for it. I feel less inclined to watch the movies after Endgame. I didn't really enjoy Doctor Strange in the... What what was that movie called? Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I thought that movie kind of sucked, to be honest with you. But that's because I don't really care about Doctor Strange. I thought his powers had potential because his movie, the visuals in the Doctor Strange movie were really interesting. And i that's all I cared about in that movie. I don't care about Doctor Strange, the character. I didn't care about any of his sidekicks in that movie. I don't care about Rachel McAdams as his love interest. I went into this multiverse of madness movie expecting just more Doctor Strange visuals and magic. And to see that it was actually a movie about Scarlet Witch, I was like, okay then why didn't they title it appropriately? I had to go back and watch WandaVision. And then I was like, okay, now I understand where Multiverse of Madness picks up. Still don't get why they called it a Doctor Strange movie. That seems like a cop-out. Either way, I still feel like Multiverse of Madness was kind of like, okay. So after that, there really was no other Marvel piece of work that I cared about. I haven't watched She-Hulk. I haven't watched Mrs. Marvel. I'm not planning to watch the new Ant-Man movie. I didn't watch Thor Love and Thunder. I'm not planning on watching Guardians of the Galaxy 5 or whatever. Like, I just feel like the rest of the movies are not giving anything that I care about. And so when Wakanda Forever came out, I was already kind of like off of the train of Marvel. And then the idea of this movie without Chadwick was just too much. I just, I didn't even know what it was going to be about, but I I just didn't want to think about it. So when it came out, I wasn't trying to see it because I was like, I'm just not ready. Now that I've seen every other movie in theaters that I care to see, (laughs) I was like, fuck it. I will go see this movie. I have an Alamo Draft House season pass. I'm literally losing money if I don't go to see more movies. And let me tell you, it blew my mind. It is so different from the rest of the Marvel movies. It is very deep. They very much make the loss of Chadwick or the loss of T'Challa a focal point in the movie. The real overall theme of this movie is dealing with grief and how do you move forward? They have now pushed all the side characters to the forefront for this movie. So now it's Shuri who is leading the movie. It's, you know, her mom, Queen Ramonda played by Angela Bassett, who's leading the movie. Winston Duke is there. They bring in some new characters. And I was actually really pleased with the new characters. I'm one of those people, I don't like change. I felt like Chadwick being gone, bringing in these new actors, it's going to be a different movie. I don't care. I could not be more wrong. (laughs) The villain in this movie or the anti-hero is Namor, also pronounced Namor, utilized him so well. And he, it says introducing the actor. So I don't know if this was his first major motion picture. He killed it. The actress, Dominique Thorne, that they brought in to play Riri Williams, who, if anybody knows, she's from the comics. They didn't just make up this girl to add another black woman to the movie to like, you know, be a knockoff Iron Man. I loved the job the actress did. I thought it was so good. I appreciate that in Wakanda Forever, they don't focus on the humor. They focus on the serious moments. The stakes of this movie feel very real. 
There was never a moment where I was like, nah, everybody's safe. Oh, okay, whatever. I feel like a lot of Marvel movies that I've seen in the past, it just feels so technicolor superhero oh yes we're here to save the day and give a funny quip while we do it oh yes we are just here to like wear our suits we don't see their connections as much with other people and if we do their connections don't feel real i don't think the actors are good actors honestly in marvel movies for the most part if they're not playing themselves the way that robert downey jr basically is tony stark the way that ryan reynolds basically is deadpool if it's not like that you could honestly replace you could replace most of these people with any other actor they're not special and that could be a topic that i talk about later on just how marvel movies have killed the movie star, in my opinion. I agree with that, with that thought point that people have. Getting back to Wakanda Forever, I feel like I enjoyed everything about it. I enjoyed the pacing. I didn't mind the length. The movie is almost three hours. And there is not a single moment in the two times that I watched it where I was like, okay, are they wrapping up? I never felt that way. I was engaged the whole time. The battle scenes are grittier. There are certain battles where there's no soundtrack. There's no music. You're literally watching and being like, somebody could die. Like, this is serious. Okoye, played by <laughs> Denai Guerrero. She fucking did an amazing job. Like, her action scenes, her acting. There has been Oscar buzz for this movie, by the way. <laughs> People are saying that Angela Bassett should be nominated for an Oscar for her role in this movie. I feel like Denai Guerrero and Letitia Wright are also, like, if we want to talk about Oscars, maybe throw them up there as well. Just because these people brought so much to the movie emotionally. I do feel like the fact that the actual actor for T'Challa passed away is something that they were able to draw from. Because we're literally mourning his character. So it's easy for me to bring in the fact that I'm mourning him as well. But they all did so well. And I feel like they knew. They came into this movie knowing if we're going to make another movie without Chadwick, we can't waste our time. Like we're not we're not coming here to play. We're coming here to give it our all. We're making the best movie we can in his memory. I easily put this in the top five Marvel movies of all time. It's not doing what the rest of these Marvel movies try to do. Marvel as a whole, to me, it's about action having these actors play these superheroes, you know, creating stakes. But at the end of the day, it's really just about action. It's just about, are they going to save the world or not? Are they going to defeat this enemy or not? And this movie had a lot of heart in it. It really was a central message about moving forward and how you can really deal with the loss of a loved one. And I think Ryan Coogler is doing what these other directors aren't doing because every other movie, for the most part, is based off of bullshit. Yes, Captain America does deal with the fact of World War II, Hitler, these secret scientist groups and armies that are within the Nazis. Yeah, that is based off of a certain history that did exist. But for the most part, I feel like these movies are based off of just made up terms, made up science. There's no real history that it calls on. Black Widow with her, I'm a Russian spy. Like there's nothing that it's tied to where you're like, oh, they're for real, like actually building this off of things that actually existed. The way that Ryan Coogler has done Black Panther and now Wakanda Forever, he has never strayed away from the fact that he is taking pieces of real African culture, these different groups within Wakanda, do speak different dialects that I I believe are real dialects within Africa. Are the tribes real? No, of course not. But he is drawing in him and Ruth Carter. They do their history to even get inspiration for the costuming. Can I tell you that Shuri's 
outfits every scene were like chef's kiss like they're not playing with these people they all feel like real people real communities and then two ryan coogler takes real issues that are discussed in the black community real storylines for lack of a better word and he brings it to the the movies you know in the first movie it's about how wakandans they've been safe forever they knew slavery was going on and they minded their business now you have killmonger who's like my dad died because he left Wakanda and saw how fucked up they were treating black people in the real world. And he wanted to arm black people and take over America. And now I'm here to fulfill that dream. I feel like we should honestly give every black person in the U.S. vibranium and we should take over. You can do with that what you want. Like, do you see merit in what his goal is? Or do you think he's a madman? He's crazy. It's a real thing that comes from real history in America, slavery, systemic racism. This second movie that deals with the fact that Americans, honestly, like white people, no matter the background, have done this across the whole world. Not only are they now wanting to mine for vibranium and try to sneak into Wakanda and steal it because the queen of Wakanda is not willing to share it, is not willing to sell it. So they're like, we'll just take it by force. We don't care. It's also showing how in Mesoamerica, Slavery existed there too. The Spanish came down from Spain, enslaved people. Shit wasn't sweet there either. And so the Mayans had to move and leave, whereas the Wakandans were able to just cloak their society. And so it's very interesting that the basic plot that relates to history in Wakanda forever is that when white people see resources in other lands, they will do whatever it takes to get it. And even if that means wiping out the whole community, the whole country, killing everybody, destabilizing that government, which is what the U.S. government is talking about doing in this movie to Wakanda, they're literally like, if they won't share their vibranium with us, we should talk about destabilizing their government, which is just basically means in layman's terms, let's kill their rulers and subjugate the people there to like our imperialism. The stakes for the next movie are fucking high. I don't see how you can go into this movie and just be like, it sucked. Like, it's not just a Marvel movie. It's not just about the action sequences. It's not just about the CGI. Yes, that's a part of it, but it's also about the message. It's about the acting, the cinematography, how they were able to really in a matter of, I don't even know how much time they had because before, you know, Chadwick Boseman died, Ryan Coogler had already written the script for the second movie. So Chadwick Boseman dying meant that he had to redo the script. And obviously, like, some parts were going to be there anyways. But having to now make it Shuri's story rather than T'Challa's story. And having to, like, really rely on these other actors to step it up. I've watched, like, several um, reviews of this movie now on YouTube. And... I'm biased. I can't help but lean towards the ones that are positive because I think this movie was so well done. Like for a script that had to be rewritten in months or like a year for a movie where the main actor who was going to be leading the movie dies. And so you already have to deal with the fact that a lot of people aren't going to want to see it, period, because he's not there. And so to see that there are like people who view this movie and they're like, it was sad and I wanted more of an upbeat positive kick-ass movie i'm like fucking grow up grow the fuck up you want to see a kick-ass movie watch kick-ass okay like stop 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 expecting for movies to be exactly to your liking and your expectation i guess if you go into a marvel movie you're there for the action and the glitz and the glamour and all of that this movie still had that but it wasn't as upbeat as the original black panther I would give this movie a solid like nine out of 10. Black Panther in itself, the first movie, I don't think it has a lot of 
rewatchability. I think when it first came out and we had never seen anything like it before, like I said, I saw it four times. It's great. Watching it now, six years later, I don't think that I could. I'm going to watch it again, honestly, today, just because I'm on a high from Wakanda forever. But it doesn't hold up the same. I've tried watching it before, like a year ago, and I was like, yeah, I just didn't. I, you know, it's harder to like sit through the whole thing. Whereas this movie, I feel like it's going to last longer. Like, I feel like the watchability timeline is way longer. So, yeah, thanks for joining me for an episode of Sensible Black Nerd. Very much work in progress. And I'm excited for you guys to see the journey of this. Take care. You are listening to a Young Hag production.